so glad that you are listening to Most Certainly True, a podcast of Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Milwaukee. This spring, we are discussing the book Grace Abounds, and even more than that, rejoicing in the abounding grace and love that our God has shown to us in Jesus and that He reveals to us in His Word. Read the book if you have it, but join us either way as we consider, discuss, and celebrate that in God, grace abounds. Hey everyone, thanks for checking us out again. Another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast from Grace Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Brian Hockman, and with me is Pastor Jim Hebner. Hello, podcast people. Glad to be here again, chatting with my pastor buddy, enjoying a nice day. Pastor Hebner, how are you doing today? Really good, I think. I get up early to do a bunch of stuff. I had some other phone conference meetings to do and other email checkups and ready for the rest of the day. Yeah. How about is, you? Is this typical March weather in Wisconsin? I don't remember what yeah, March is like. Yeah, you haven't been around Wisconsin with all your years in Alaska during March, maybe. But uh, I would say, you know, we're. I think this week is like 40s. Okay. So we're okay to put on the podcast where we are in time and space. So March and sure. Wisconsin, right? <laughs> sure. They know that we recorded at some point in, yeah, in has, time yeah. and history, right? That's right. I this had is to, now time-stamped. I had to close the shade. That's true. The date is on the, is on the post, too. I had to close the shade because the sun is peering into yeah. the side of the building. Low so. enough in the sky. Although when I visited Alaska a couple times, I remember hanging around, you know, this was like, what, end of October, November, and uh, I was already just, you know, amazed by, you get to noon and the sun is just, like, over the, the shadows are <laughs> angled across the street, even at noon in the middle of the day. The sun doesn't get that very high in the sky, is my point. It's lower here, obviously, as we're improving towards spring, but man. In the heart of like December twenty third is the the equinox there. Yeah. Um. The sun would the first time that the sun would actually shine on a person, assuming there were no clouds, uh, if you were walking on the property at peace, was on the way home from church at about twelve fifteen. That's because when the sun there would... was a mountain directly oh. to the south, <laughs> so it would get light around like. 10 or 10 15 but it would take two hours for the sun to rise over the mountain so that you could actually get Um, sunshine on the yep and then the same thing from our vantage point anyways it would (laughs) set behind the same mountain um somewhere around 2 or 2 30 yeah so it was always but march was one of my favorite months because the light was coming back people were yeah you started to get the energy coming out of hibernation that's that's probably true in Wisconsin. We have a lot of winter activities, which is fun. Yeah. And people are out and about and doing We have more light than obviously Alaska. But yeah, March is, uh, you know, I can recall it was a number of years ago, but um, there was a there was a time I remember because my, my father was born in the month of March and his birthday, uh, it was 75 degrees, you know, so it can happen, <laughs> you know. But then there's also the famous stories people talk about March snowstorms. And right. So you never know. It definitely feels like uh, like spring today. Yeah. So even though I'm very excited because of a winter activity that's going on in Alaska ah, this weekend, the Iditarod is that's starting. That's a big thing that you um, really enjoyed, right? I love yeah. the Iditarod. I'm yeah. super excited to Nobody bring, knows on podcast what Iditarod is. You have to translate that. Have to bring some of that culture to uh, yeah. our Midwestern 
have audience. to describe what it is. It's, it's now a, you mentioned the term. It's a dog race. Oh. I think people, it's a dog sled race um, that <laughs> that happens starts every March. There's a two week festival called Fur Rendezvous, and then it ends with the ceremonial start of the Iditarod. They pull in uh, snow onto Fourth Avenue in Anchorage, and they parade or, or run the ceremonial start to the race um, hmm. on that Saturday through the streets of Anchorage. And then the next day is the official start out oh. in a, a city of called Willow. And then and they go from there out to... Out Willow through the, the p- parts of Alaska that have no roads and no si- no cities, just little villages. And it goes up to Nome. Yeah. Uh, so that's always an exciting thing. Uh, that's a, How I, long does it actually take them to run that with those dog sleds? Yeah, so... I mean, is this a week, a month, a day? So, uh, it's usually about 10 days. Oh, 10 days um, you have to be... Usually about 10 days. I think the record is eight. It all depends on what the weather is doing yeah, and yeah. how fast the leaders are going. And kind of pace yourself off of uh, some of the other racers as well. Huh. There was one year I remember where they were all within like a couple hundred miles of the end. And then this giant snowstorm came in. Oh. And they all kind of just hunkered down in one of the uh, checkpoints. And then it was sort of everyone looking around. Who's who's going? Are you going to go? Are you going <laughs> to go? <laughs> so Interesting. actually made it uh, a sprint at the end. Usually by the time you get there, the person who's the leader is so far ahead that he can kind of, he or she can kind of take it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the, the storms do that. One year, the leader got lost because of oh. a storm, ended up off path and had to, had to come back. They were surprised at the next checkpoint when it wasn't the leader who rolled in first, and they said, did you pass him? Nobody's seen him. No. Yeah. Oops, <laughs> like, or her. Yeah, what happened uh, to her? Yeah. Right. So I did her odds exciting. Yeah, and how about that? And I'm looking forward to, to tracking it from afar. Yeah, yeah. So That's good. So we should talk about this. We're Chapter 6 already. Can you imagine that? We are in chapter 17 six. chapters in this book called Grace Abounds. We're at Chapter 6, God's Creating Activity. Yeah, Furthering our discussion on in the theology section, the study of God. Yep. Um, and so we're going to look uh, and discuss a little bit today on on how God's uh, the creating, the creator and his creation activity. And then um, a little bit more about God as we talk about his will. His providence. What we can and yeah. can't say yeah. about his will. Yeah. Yeah, the, the chapter has a, a wonderful review of creation. And you might think from our podcaster listener type of view that this is all familiar ground. It is. So it's good to review that. I think it's always wonderful for us, but then mostly to step back and learn and think a little bit, what what are the characteristics of God that we can already see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you know, in the creation account that we have in chapter 2 being a embellishment, uh, more details of day 6. Yeah, I was going to ask a, you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because chapter one of Genesis goes all the way through to day six, and then it seems like there's almost a reset button, and it tells the story right. a little bit again yeah. in chapter two. I think it's exciting that God does it that way. When um, it's really all about what the Bible is all about, God connecting and relating to us. So when He sets the whole stage with chapter one verses chap through chapter two verse four to get the creation account, and day seven is rest. Then in chapter two verse five, He starts in with not a new creation, but just zooming in on, you know, sort of with his godly way of doing it, zooming in on the details of day six. Why? Because it's all about how he established the perfect home and then the perfect relationship that he was going to have with people and how he created them in more detail. 
Yeah. Not a new creation, but just zooming in on day six. Yeah, there's all sorts of flashing lights and red flags that show yeah. what this is all about, right? right. God, God uh, does that with Adam as well when he parades all the animals in front mm-hmm. of him and says, you're the one who's the master over that you get to name these people. Mm-hmm. And But then also he wanted him to recognize that he was at that point without a partner. Uh, male and female animals come right. You got to have in front of him matched and, partner, and he figured out where's my where's my mate, where's my helper, where's my female, and then God filled that need yep. as well. So you definitely have those themes of of mankind as the crown of creation mm-hmm. in the account itself, in the way that mm-hmm. day six gets the spotlight there and the, the the recap. Yeah, and already there with chapter two, you get the not only that there's going to be a vertical relationship between God and human beings in his original design, gets all goofed up in chapter 3, so he has to promise a Savior to restore that. But you also see the horizontal relationship that God intends humans to enjoy when he creates that matched partner for the first human being. But you also get in that same chapter then that humans have a purpose. We have worth. We have, you know, he allows Adam and then Eve to care for the creation he has meant it's mentioned in chapter 1, you know, to rule over the earth and subdue it. But in chapter 2, he gives Adam work to do. And it wasn't like terrible and bad and sweat and pink slips and thorns <laughs> and thistles yet until you get to chapter 3. But this is uh, in the perfect world, a delight and privilege that human beings get to care for creation and for each other and to honor their God. And that was also set in motion in chapter 2 when he has you know, giving them opportunities to worship him by saying, you know, how how can you... You know, if you're Adam and Eve, you're thinking, how can we ever thank you for this? This looking around and seeing everything's perfect, right? And you're just, here you are. And, you know, the bunnies and the bears get along. The lions and the lambs get along. Everything is gorgeous. There's, it's just, it's just so stunning. It's paradise. And you're looking at God and saying, well, how can we ever thank you? And he says, well, I'll give you an opportunity to say thanks. Here's one, one tree, not for food. This wasn't <laughs> jipping them out of anything. It was already in chapters one and two, you see, uh, how God relates to humans and allows us to respond to him in worship and praise and thanks and honor by obeying him. That's all set in motion. Somebody once said, maybe if we are talking about it now in this podcast, it's okay, because if, if not now, it would certainly come up in when we talk about the uh, inherited original sin in another chapter coming soon. But um, somebody had said one time that if you can really understand and pay attention to everything God is telling us in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis— You'll know the rest of the Bible. Yeah, it's all—it's already there. So we'll we'll talk about some of this coming up uh, more from uh, as you read through the this chapter six. When you get you just start thinking about well, what do we learn about God, right? You know, well obviously, and the good professor who authored the book uh, mentions sort of in passing, but you know it's pretty obvious that he makes the whole world in six natural days um, just by saying the word. He's obviously powerful. Yeah. Uh, right. And and in, <laughs> if you really want to look at that even closer, he didn't take the twenty four hour days. He spoke things into existence. And they just boom, <laughs> and yeah. they were there. Yeah. Um, yeah. God and then when you need stud- twenty four hours, yeah. and when you observe creation and everything from the the universe and the stars and the planets and everything else and what the Earth is all about, and 
and how the human body operates. It's obvious that God is wise. I mean, that's another thing. Right. The characteristics that we looked at in a previous chapter right. are now... They're all here. Um, in coming the, in back. His, the orderliness of the, creation. That is a huge one. Much of create he, he creates from nothing, and then once, once the, the material is there, now he sets yeah. it into order. And he does it in an orderly way. And that is God's orderliness shows up then in relationships like, well, there is order in his world that he made. There's such a thing as governing authorities and citizens. There's such a thing as parents and children. There's husband and wife. There's employers, employees. Who's better? Who's more important? Well, neither. They're all important, but there's order. And that's all reflected already in this uh, chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis and creation. And then on top of that is his love, which we see especially in chapter 2 for his creation and for people. We don't see the undeserved love grace is our technical word until chapter three but you can see that god is obviously loving and then he is a god who communicates who speaks we had mentioned this not long ago in a bible study setting too but you look at the first three words of verse three and verse six and verse nine and verse 14 and verse 20 and verse and god said and god said and god said and god said he's a god who wants to communicate he does through this whole holy scripture right he communicates yeah. things into existence. He yeah. communicates and he walks with Adam in the garden. Yeah. Um, and then even so much his desire for for the message, for the communication that right. um, that's a name that his own son takes on uh, as the word becomes yeah. flesh. Yeah, right. The Gospel and of John. So it's obviously with that. the John's reference uh, that you just mentioned in John chapter 1 that starts out in the beginning was the word. It's the same language as in the beginning God created, and then you have God said, God said, God said, and he's called the word. He's obviously the second person of the Trinity involved in creation, as is the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. Right. It's I a love, Trinitarian thing. Right. I love the parallels that the creation <laughs> account gives us. Um, so God creates this paradise, and then mm-hmm. sin destroys it, but then you look at the rest of Scripture, and it's about the restoration. The Messiah comes to restore mm-hmm. that paradise, and Look in Revelation. What what is heaven? It's uh, it's the place where paradise is restored. Yeah. Um. We you had mentioned the the primary um, aspect of creation is God's relationship with people, uh, and I love that even there in Genesis chapter three, the first gospel promise is really a promise that says I'm going to restore the relationship. That, that's what I'm going to put the hostility back between people and, and Satan, Satan right and I'm gonna put the the love and harmony back between yep. where I want it to be back between God yep. and, yep. and people. So really what is the story I mean the story is um, that that Satan has destroyed that beautiful relationship God intended and then the Bible unfolds the whole story of how he's going to undo that the damage that Satan had brought into the world and send his son to defeat Satan, so that we can have that restored relation. I mean, that's really the beautiful connection. And it's all there already in the first three chapters. So we're a little bit diverse from what the chapter in Grace Abounds is about. But because it's talking about creation in this chapter, it's kind of a fun thing to think back and look at that from fresh eyes, even though we might know the creation account quite well. Right. right. We've got the the fall into sin coming up in the next yeah. section anthropology where it's the study of man who god's made us to be and yeah, the, people. Fall in, the fall into sin comes right. into into there um i have a question for you uh yeah. professor deutschlander brought up uh he mentioned that we don't have a distinct answer in scripture uh about the creation of angels mm-hmm. when, when at the end of the chapter yeah yeah he brought, brings up a little bit at the beginning and then we talk about angels there yeah. towards the end but yeah. when when do you think angels were created during some time during the six days of creation 
That's a cop-out answer. When do you... <laughs> sometime during the six days of creation. Do you have I'm a... I'm not going to say because if God, does, God doesn't tell us, so we don't know. Okay. I have no idea. I know he mentions that uh, church fathers have said maybe at the first day when first all matter is or, made or maybe the or sixth the day, day in conjunction with the human beings, but since God doesn't say, I have no idea. One that I've heard often he doesn't bring up, and I wonder if that's because he doesn't buy into the, the theory or not, but... Um, that the heavenly hosts would would be created with the heavenly bodies on the fourth day with the sun, moon, and the stars. Yeah, so I, I was surprised that he didn't even list that as yeah. some some assume or some presume. Yeah, but it sounds rude. But to be honest, I don't care. I'm just glad I he made know. them. <laughs> the angels are good. It's good that we have them, right? Well, now that we're on that topic, though, I was uh, interested to see that when he gets to the end of the chapter and finally starts talking about angels. Uh, he does make the emphasis, and that, that's something for our podcast listeners and the readers of the book who are curious about this, that you can't really have the subject of angels discussed without talking about the evil angels. Right. They have to be both discussed because that's what the Bible presents. God does make it very clear. Not here in Genesis 1-3, to how the evil angels came about. That's just referred to much later in Second Peter chapter 2, that they had rebelled against God. It's basically some of these spirit beings he designed who go into the throne room of God and look him in the eye and say, okay, your time's up, we're taking over, we're going to be God. Well, uh, no, that's not going to happen. Not the way this works. <laughs> right. So that was interesting, I thought, the yeah. way he wrapped up how the evil angels uh, not just came about, what they do and the danger of evil and how they functioned, because that fell in nicely at the end of the chapter after his uh, chapter's discussion on the providence of God. Right. I appreciate one more thing about angels, and then yeah. we'll go to providence. I appreciated the just multitude of, be in a hurry here, of scripture references <laughs> that he's got there. Yeah. You could take those couple of pages on angels and mm-hmm. and open up your Bible to all of those references. And yeah, find out that and actually that God talks about angels quite a bit. It's not just yeah. Psalm ninety one, the the passage yeah. that that many of us learned in in catechism class or Bible history class. Yeah, God talks about angels a lot, and yeah. and we can glean a lot of understanding about. Um, these created beings that yeah. God makes, why and, and how they function and how they're a blessing to yeah, yeah. to us. Um, I'm probably going to do that. Probably going to get a chance to open that up and and review. Yeah, and yeah. I encourage our listeners to to grow in that way as well. Can't leave that whole discussion without the reference in the talking about angels and the evil angels, good angels, whatever. Without you know the dangerous part of people being so. Uh, deluded that they're actually going to be so fascinated by the evil angels that they're going to want to pursue or even get real excited about things that God has really not revealed in his scripture. We don't have every detail about what is uh, hidden from us in the spirit world. And to pursue things like uh, Satanism or fortune telling and even uh, seemingly harmless things like horoscope, that's just playing around with witchcraft. This is dangerous stuff, and let's just leave that alone. That was one thought. The other was on the good angel side. There's two big things that always strike me is uh, that this mass, this this massive army of spirit beings that are really to serve us, is serve and honor God, but also to help and serve us. It's cool. And then the other thing is, uh, he noted that too, that angels show up at these big significant events in the ministry of our Savior. They're there at his birth. They're there at his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're there at the resurrection. They're there at his ascension. I think that's significant. These angels who are God's messengers and then his helpers are all there. Why? Because the whole thing about the Bible is about Jesus and about our relationship to God because of him. 
I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. I, yeah, that's I, I noticed that as well. Yeah. And God doesn't need the angels, uh, but <laughs> he chooses to use them. Yeah. A- and uh, we can see another aspect of God's providence in right. the fact that he sends his angels to guard and protect Which us. is a great line to transition into this section of the providence. That's, he doesn't need us. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> doesn't need noticing. us, but he, cho- <laughs> but he chooses to use us too. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and so, um, so we if, could, yeah. If you look at the Father and... Uh, what are the two main activities that he gets credit for in scripture? It's creation and preserving mm-hmm. creation. Um, so we get, get the word providence. There was actually a, a hospital in Anchorage called Providence. Oh, yeah. Um, had its roots started by Catholics. I don't know how many years ago. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. In the chapter then, uh, the professor uses some terminology, and I'm really glad he used them, but also glad he defined them, because otherwise it would be a little confusing, you know, for our readers of this book, Grace Abounds, he talks about God's providence in terms of being immediate and immediate. He talks about providence in connection with concurrence with evil, that God allows evil to exist in the world, not just wipe it out, because people have questions about that, not only where evil came from and who is responsible for it right now. And he talks about things like um, uh, necessity and contingency and under the will of God. He talks about the antecedent and consequent will of God. So these are all special terms that come up in the book, and I'm really glad he brought them up and then defined them. Right. That's one of the things I appreciate about this whole book is um, the fact that you can dive kind of deeply into some of these terms and categories and, and make draw some of these comparisons yeah. and everything. But at the end of the day, it's not you don't have to. You, you can read through and understand yeah. uh, based on the explanation. Okay, sometimes it's this way and sometimes it works this way and, and can grow from it that way too. So right. there's a, a smorgasbord of uh, opportunities to, to go in as a quick devotional read or as mm-hmm. something that you could uh, spend a lot of time in or use as a resource to go back and, right. and dive a little bit deeper. Mediate and immediate. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, what he's saying there is that God will either sometimes will provide directly. Um, you think of mm-hmm. God um, with Elijah. He he provide. He uses. He sends food to him while he's sitting by the brook. Miraculously, right. Jesus feeds right. the five thousand in a way that couldn't happen according to the regular right. laws of nature. Right. He uses a miracle, but most, most regularly and frequently, he he's, he uses natural uses. I means think that's a good way for people to think of um, those two terms. They sound fancy, immediate, immediate. Basically, it's. God cares for us, provides for us, preserves us in very natural ways. Right. And then once in a while, he uses miracles. And we shouldn't sit around, uh, you know, praying, dear God, use a miracle. We can. You, by the way, is it sinful to pray for a miracle like curing cancer or whatever? No, no I've, of I've course. I've done that often. Right, right. But that we can't, because God never promises he's going to do that. We don't necessarily need to. We can pray boldly and say, use a miracle, but he never promised he's going to. So we had one of the lessons in on the first Sunday of Lent was the temptation of Jesus, the gospel right. lesson. And that's basically the heart of <laughs> Satan's temptation, right? Yeah. Uh, as he asks, tells Jesus, why don't you jump down? Because yeah, do the a miracle. will come yeah. and God will provide provide for you. Change the stones uh, to bread, whatever. Yeah. But God has never promised he's going to suspend the laws of nature. Um, and that was why. He can. He, he could, right. Yep. But he never promises. And that's why Jesus said, uh, his response was with another passage. Right. Don't put the Lord to the test. And he does promise to take care of us in natural ways immediately. Right. And he does. He provides the seasons and he provides the ground to work and 
animals and plant life to live and exist. And when used wisely, that's how God cares for us in many other ways too. Yeah. I don't know if uh, I was the only one, but as I was reading through this section, I had the explanation of the first article oh, yeah. running yeah. through my head. Here's, <laughs> we confess our faith to believe in God. Yeah. and then Providing food we, and drink, clothing and shoes, house and yeah, home, wife, children, right land, cattle, and all. I own that kind of language. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. He richly and daily provides yeah. for me, right? So it's God's providence. Yeah. Uh, uh, Martin Luther's explanation of the first article that you referred to right there does have sort of echoes of the way God talks himself in almost poetic language with the promise to Noah in Genesis 8, verse 22. You know, seed time and harvest, you know, that, that, that kind of language has got that sort of poetic repetition that he's going to care for us. It's a, it's a beautiful way Luther did that. Right. I think the big thing, though, about this chapter that people were, are always, not always, but I, a lot of times wrestle with is not just even the concurrence existence of evil. I think a lot of Christians and maybe a lot of our podcasters grasp that. God allows like Satan to operate like a dog on a leash and uh, only goes so far. So he'll limit evil or he'll use evil to punish evil. God is never the cause of evil. Uh, that's just the reality we have presented to us in the Bible, that evil exists thanks to Satan and now sin being ejected in the world. And uh, he ultimately, though, that's the comforting part, will turn evil for good. I like these illustrations that he had, like Judas. You know, I've right. often asked people things like, you know, um, would Jesus have died on the cross if Judas had not betrayed him? Well, sure, he's going to, you know, right, he's going to be our Savior, but God took that evil plotting and execution of evil by Judas and wove that into God's design that that was the way in which Jesus was arrested. And nobody you know, would say that that's a happy, good thing, but that the Savior is arrested and put on trial illegally and all that. But that's how God used evil for the ultimate good, that we would have a Savior dies on the cross for us. Right. I think maybe the nagging doubt or confusion has to do with if God wants good and God has power over evil, why doesn't he use that power to restrict evil? Yeah, or stop it completely. And... You're right. It, it answer the question every time we get, come around in Bible information class. Um, yeah. Well, why is it, why did God allow, why did he allow the fall into sin? If yeah, this he could have prevented everyone it. Right. In, into this difficult and, uh, destroys the relationship and now through inherited sin everyone is born in sin well wouldn't it make sense that god would have just prevented that from happening or yeah. not given the command in the first place yeah then perfection could have um yeah but right it's not that's not what the bible says though right the bible only presents what we deal with reality and this is what happened so god's not to blame for the evil uh, in the world then and now right or, or maybe a different avenue or different way that some doubt or confusion comes in is God knows. God's omniscience yeah. doesn't always yeah. equal or doesn't equal um, his yeah. his uh, cooperation with it or it doesn't make him the, the culprit. Yeah, right. God knew that they were going to fall into sin. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that he pushed them yeah. or, or that it was his will that they fall into sin. Yeah, his knowing isn't the cause of it. I thought that illustration was pretty good about a professor who knows that a certain student, Fritz. of course, he'll always use a German word, right, or a name, right? Fritz. He, got, he needs to get that, that German pride in. Yeah, he, he does have to have that. Yeah, with a name like Deutschlander, you'd expect him to use <laughs> illustrations and names that sound German. But in the student, obviously, in this little story, he has her illustration. 
is not a very good student and the professor knows in advance the student probably is not going to study well, even with all the encouragement he can, and he's not going to do well in the course, and sure enough, that's what happens. Is it the professor's fault? He tried hard to encourage Fritz. He tried hard to do everything he could in teaching, but Fritz just decided, no, I'm not going to study, and he gets a bad grade. Well, you know, so who's the cause of it? Well, Fritz is, right? That's the same thing. Right. It's a good illustration, I thought. Knowing doesn't equal... Um, yeah. Doesn't mean that it's your it's your fault. Right, right. Then he gets a little bit into the antecedent and consequent yeah. will, which, again, we're getting into some terms that won't be on the test um, at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you recognize uh, antecedent and consequent will, antecedent mm-hmm. is what God wills beforehand, right? Before mankind is considered, before mankind acts. Um, so he desires that, that all people are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's right. an antecedent will of God. That has nothing to do with you or me, nothing to do yeah. with our... He's decided in eternity that we're going to be with him, and that's before antecedent, right? Right. But yet he still maintains his justice, going back to the attributes of God again. Glad that we've studied yeah. the attributes. His justice comes to the fore as we consider his consequent will. Right. Uh, just because God wants everyone to be saved doesn't mean that uh, everyone gets a get-out-of-jail-free card or a free pass or now yeah. all of a sudden sin doesn't matter. There still is God justice where where he will punish people for, for their unbelief. I think overall this chunk on providence and the different kinds of things underneath that where we talk about from the antecedent consequent will or earlier when he's talking about necessity and contingency and stuff like that, it's all related to the subject that really, I think, uh, makes people scratch their heads about the will of God. And I think he did a very nice job in this chapter bringing out that the danger is to fall on one side of the path into a ditch or the other side. On the one side is fatalism, determinism, you can use another word like that, and there have been people, plenty in the world, who fall on that side. Well, God's played this all out in advance, and he's got it all in mind, and it's all determined I got nothing I'm just going to so give up matter. it's going to matter right. it doesn't matter what I do yeah. or what I think or say it's this and the other side of the ditch is the arrogance to think that our decisions on our will and desires are equal to God's right that's arrogance to say well if I pray about this or think about this enough or you know whatever and then I'm going to make a decision that must be God's will well if he has revealed it in his holy scripture that it is his will then primarily to save us, yes. But other than that, he doesn't reveal that necessarily in Scripture. And to, It's arrogance to think that I'm going to be on his level and say my decisions, my will, my desires are equal to his, or they are his. Right. Uh, they, and people who not, that's think not a that good way idea. or talk that way probably don't stop and consider and parse it out that what they're really saying is that God, who is eternal and from before the creation of the world, <laughs> knew what I was going to think about here, you know, generations later, thousands and thousands of years later. And he knew what I was going to think on this specific day. And he decided that he would conform his will to right. me as the created being. I mean, right. it sounds silly when you, when you say it that way, right. but that's really what, that's, that's the arrogance, right? That's it really is. what we're right. saying right. when, uh, when we feel. He didn't go speak. into great detail in this chapter about it, but this brings up that whole subject that really, I think, has caused a lot of confusion in people's minds. And I'm talking about Christian people who love their Lord Jesus, but they they get confused with this phrase, freedom of the will, when they're talking about human beings. In reality, 
we we do and we don't have freedom of the will. Yeah, it depends it on what com- you're talking about. Depends on right? what you're talking about. Yeah, if you're talking about what he talks in this chapter by making outward decisions. That's a word he uses outwardly. You know, earthly decisions on if I'm going to go to this store or that store, or if I'm going to marry this person or that person. You know, these are these are things where God gives us freedom as human beings, which is really, when you think about it, a complete and high honor. How are we going to use his creation? What decisions we are going to make to earn a living, to reflect our care and glory and honor to him and to love and serve other people. We have a lot of latitude and a lot of freedom that God isn't going to prescribe in the Bible. He gives us that kind of outward freedom. But when it comes to connecting with him, then we don't have a free will. We have a bound will. We're born with a sinful nature. We don't even have any. We're bound by sin with Satan and heading the wrong direction away until he turns us around with uh, creating faith in our hearts and creates that desire to love and thank him. Yeah, if we're talking conversion, how does a person go from being an unbeliever to being a believer? That's not my choice. God doesn't say, here, you can either continue in unbelief or if you choose, you can become a believer. No, the only thing I can do of my own accord and in my own strength is to continue on the path of unbelief. (laughs) And into hell, Uh, right. It's God's God's will um, and, and it's God's working that, turns my life around, converts me, right. and plants the seed of faith. I thought he did heart. a good job without without using that technical phrase, freedom of the will, but sorting it out very clearly in the chapter that when it comes to our connection with God, the initial connection, that's totally God's doing, not our will, our desire, but that that's his. And then when it comes to living in this world in thanks and giving him honor, we have a lot of freedom, which I right. think is great. So we have no freedom to connect with God to start with, and we have a lot of freedom once we're connected to him and live in this world. It's just, and even unbelievers, actually, who don't have no relationship with God, human beings are honored by God, I think, and given this, the way to say that is you know, honored, you know, to, to, to use their human reason and make decisions. It's, uh, I think, a beautiful gift from God. Right. So this is going to be a fun chapter to, if people are already reading it or finish up reading and to explore and think about the, will of God and how that fits with our decisions and freedom in life. And and uh, there are, I think the bottom line is really cool that he had in the whole chapter, the little theme that ran through it is there are some things that we can know and some things that we aren't going to know. And that's just okay. Right. Trust God. <laughs> and if you want to know something, look in his holy word. And then he, if he gives you answers or describes what he's like or how he operates, good. You thank God for that and praise him for that. And just be glad your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven. If there's things he doesn't talk about, well, fine. Leave them in the hands of God and just rejoice. Yeah. You can, re- you can <laughs> know what you can know about God, and we don't have to uh, spend time agonizing about right. what we can't know. And, in fact, when we try to fill in those blanks or try to tell God, hey, here's how these two things could fit together, <laughs> we inevitably end up in a place that takes us away from what Scripture right. has truly said. The revealed will is Scriptures, as you just said. And we know that when we are working with the Word of God and the Holy Scriptures, which the chapter is indicating, this is what we always want to do, then we know this is most, most certainly, certainly true. Thanks for listening. We'd love to share more about God's love with you. Check us out at www.gracedowntown.org. There, you'll find worship times, our pastor's contact info, and a lot about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again sometime soon.